Welcome one and all to the basement today. I'm back. I'm back. Like I told you last week, I know I had a big announcement last week that, you know, obviously uh, the show is going to be maybe wrapping up soon. Well, I, I shouldn't say maybe. It, it is. Uh, the basement's coming to a close. But that was last week's episode. If you want to learn about that announcement, uh, just go back a previous episode on the uh, feed, wherever you're listening to this, and uh, listen. Um, but, you know, like I said, I still got some work to do before I... Uh, temporarily hang up the microphone for a little while or at least you know close up shop on this show uh yeah so a new episode today obviously here i am and um i and uh so there's a thing going on that happens in january amongst like real hardcore cinephile people uh, especially fans of horror films and whatnot and these are these are horror films, but they're more murder mystery, and you know, I, I, I talk a lot of horror on this show sometimes, but let's just for the sake of it call it more murder mystery, but these are like in the horror genre. People, you know, horror fans welcome it, uh, and that is the Italian Giallo films. Uh, these were at their height at the 1960s, 1970s. A little bit into the 1980s, and I believe in Italy they still produce films like this from time to time. Uh, the great filmmaker Dario Argento had a new uh, giallo hit, I think, end of 2022, and uh, Black Sunglasses, I believe, is the name of it. Uh, I think it's streaming on Shutter, and um, yeah, I went back and I watched it. I believe that's the title: Black Sunglasses or Dark Sunglasses. I can't, can't freaking remember um, the damn title. But I, I watched it, and it was good to see Dario Argento go back and do a film like that, the Giallo-style movies, something he has done quite well. He has an iconic filmography of Giallo movies. Uh, if you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, <laughs> well, I'll get into that in a little bit, what a Giallo film is. Um, a little bit of backstory, though, if you want to go back to the beginning of the month. Gosh, it's been a long month. Usually months go by really quick. Um, not this month, because literally this was the beginning of the month, and it feels like three months ago, I had uh, Angie and Paul from A&P Films on the show talking to me, and um, I referenced how much their style in their, their films that they make, that I believe all of them are streaming on Tubi right now, and they're in post-production on their most recent one, uh, has like a giallo aesthetic, and, um, and it turns out like Paul and the bull, the both of them lit up, but Paul kind of answered the question. Uh, like, yeah, I'm so glad you caught on to that. I'm a huge fan of Dario Argento's Tenebrae and, um, you know, a few other ones um, that we, he just threw out there. But I remember him talking about Tenebrae. Uh, that's, a, that's a great one as well. It's not on my list today. But I decided to, you know, in the month of January, not, you know, religiously, I kind of spaced it out a little bit, but I watched a lot of Giallo films. Now, now I now I need to get into talk about what exactly it is because I don't want to leave any audience members out. I know I have a lot of fans who are at least aware of this um, subgenre of movies. Um, these are basically Italian murder mystery films of the 1960s and 70s, uh, produced in Italy. Uh, they all kind of have the same um, flow to them. It's it's like the same kind of care, you know, same same kind of story beats. Um, the Anytime they show the killer, he's usually they usually just cut to a, a point of view, or they see you see like their hands, and the hands always have like black gloves on, uh, or you'll see like they have um, 
they're they're in like a black trench coat and you don't see their face and they're wearing like kind of a hat that shadows their face and you know they'll cut to like whatever you know usually they're using a knife sometimes they're using like something to strangle someone uh, i'm talking about death here right now a lot <laughs> but uh that's always kind of like their that's like their go-to kind of villain like it's it's someone in a black trench coat that they, you know the way they shoot the scene the kill scenes that's um lit in a certain way and you know certain kind of camera angles are used and you know you see stuff like this in the early slasher movies you see the povs you see the uh you see the you know just the cuts of like the weapon going in and out of the the flesh and stuff and whatnot and you know you see stuff like that you know in like the very first friday the 13th which is predominantly a lot of pov shots john carpenter's halloween and you know neither sean cunningham or john carpenter have ever really said they were inspired by giallo films but you know they came up in the 1970s so i'm sure maybe they've seen a few um but these are all murder mystery films uh mainly produced in italy and this is coming at a time when um a lot of like American actors who were their star was kind of fading in the 1960s in the in in um in the states, so they would go over to Italy and like you know go be in these Italian films uh, for a few for a little while because they were starting to pick up traction and a lot of people were starting to uh, watch these movies in the states. So they you get like Charles Bronson would fly over to Italy and go be in two or three uh you know crime movies or something where he's just you know being charles bronson and you know um they actually touch on something like that in uh, quentin tarantino's once upon a time in america leonardo dicaprio's character his you know he's he plays an actor who's very much isn't really kind of getting the roles he wants and his agent played by al pacino tells him to he should go be in a couple spaghetti westerns that are getting produced out in italy that's what a spaghetti western is if anybody doesn't know um it is a western that is produced in Italy, because uh, there's parts of, you know, the Italian countryside that can kind of double as the American Wild Wild West. It's up to some people's opinion, but um, I can kind of see it. But uh, yeah, so there was a lot of kind of back and forth between the Italian film market and the American film market in this era, um, because Hollywood was changing at that time, too. Um, they were, you know, kind of pulling away from the studio backlot movies of the 50 40s and the 50s and the early 60s where you could just it looks like it's filmed on like a sitcom set and whatnot and it's just cameras kind of trucking in and out uh like now it's like a lot of art house stuff you know it's the swinging late 60s and giallo films kind of came out of that era and you know let me just say with films produced in italy uh there's a lot of sex <laughs> Uh, and you know, I say that and kind of studying Italian culture and whatnot. Um, I always kind of wonder, I'm like, why do these movies always just kind of just have a lot of people hooking up and whatnot? And like, I don't know, I'm like, like you'd, you'd think for a second, like, am I watching like a you know a porno or something? You know, it's not. There's nudity, but it's not porn. But um, you can't help but kind of wonder these things. And I looked into it and I realized, like, you know. A lot of Italy and Italians uh, came up and were raised Catholic, and so there's a lot of um, condemning of premarital sex and whatnot. A lot of a lot of containing people's sexual urges in that country. If you were, if you were raised Catholic, which I believe a predominance of the country was, and 
Uh, so I think this is like a lot of filmmakers, you know, making films where they're releasing those sexual urges and putting it into these, these films a little bit. And, you know, that might be some people's cup of tea might not be, I'm not saying it's my cup of tea. It's just, I, I kind of like watching these films oddly enough because of, um, they're really a time capsule of Europe in the late sixties and through the 1970s. Uh, they are just very, um, some are a little more artsy fartsy than others. Uh, some of them have bad English dubbing. Some of them it's just better to watch in Italian with English subtitles. Some of them it's a you know it, they'll like speak in Italian a lot or like other actors will be dubbed, but they'll have that one American actor there who's like the lead. Uh, he's not dubbed, so it, it's kind of cool. Um, the history and the time capsule these movies really are. And I think that's why I enjoy watching them. I talk about them from time to time on this show, on the uh, other horror show I do, which is wrapping up soon. Season one's about to end. Uh, hot genre topics. I, I mention a few giallo films from time to time. Uh, so for this episode today, I picked a few uh, that I wanted to talk about to turn people on to. Because I, I think, you know, foreign films is something I'm appreciating more as I get older. And, and I only call it foreign because it's from a different country, but like to me, it's just, I don't know. I just watching a movie, I don't want to put a label on it, you know, like, oh, it's, it's, it's a foreign film. So, I mean, I don't know if, you know, they, they look at Hollywood blockbusters that play overseas. Do they think of that as a foreign film? I don't know. It's crazy to think about. But regardless, um, I picked a handful of these murder mystery movies that some are a little more murder mystery than they are horror. Some are a little on the exploitative side, but there is this pretty interesting entertainment value to them. I'll, I'll mention it that when I get to it. Um, yeah, and a lot of these are made by very well-known Italian filmmakers of the era. Uh, one is Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, I mentioned. Uh, I don't have Mario Bava on my list, but I want to give him a shout-out. If you really want to do a deep dive into Italian cinema of the 50s, 60s, into the 70s. Uh, watch some Mario Bava films. They are just like atmospheric and beautiful. I love him as a director. Uh, so let's jump in to a little Giallo sampler. All right. I want to get some of the sleaze out of the way first up. Uh, I want to talk Lucio Fulci's The New York Ripper. Now, I'm talking sleaze because, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, this does have a lot of sleaze uh, to it. It does have a lot of very New York 1970s, 1980, early 1980s feel. Uh, the release date on this thing is 1982, uh, and it feels very much of New York of that era. And I, I always get kind of confused with, with release dates for films that are released um, overseas and stateside, um, but I'm, I'm reading The New York Ripper is 1982. Uh, no ifs, ands, buts about it, but that's not the big point here. Uh, this directed by Lucio Fulci uh, is very much a sleazy giallo film. And, you know, because of the, I'm saying sleazy a lot, <laughs> but because of the, the setting, New York, which this was a very kind of grimy time for New York City. I think it matches up really well with the um, vibe of the movie. It just really creates the overall vibe. It makes you want to take a shower after it, after you're done watching it. That's my go-to saying when I just kind of feel grimy after watching a movie. Uh, this is not going to be for everyone. Actually, I don't think it's going to be for a lot of people. But 
because there's always a lot of conversation around it, I wanted to come on and talk about it. I've seen this movie twice. Uh, more recently, the second time was I watched it just to kind of prep for the show because it is a giallo film. Now, Fulci is kind of the Italian maestro of gore, at least throughout the 70s and 80s. Uh, he's made other films like Zombie, City of the Living Dead. Uh, he very much... <laughs> you just kind of have to watch a Fulci film to kind of get what I'm talking about. They're they're very Fever Dream-esque at times as well. New York Ripper isn't that, but there's also just stuff in it that doesn't make too much sense. Uh, it is a Giallo film. I don't know how many films of this ilk he has made, but uh, this is kind of one of his standout ones that a lot of people like to talk about uh, because it feels very misogynistic, I must say. And I think... In this day and age, when people try to write off a movie like, oh, that movie's, you know, misogynist, that movie's misogynistic, or that movie's racist even, I think there's movies that, yeah, you should probably write off that like, yeah, that movie's fucking racist. Birth of a Nation from the 19, what, 1920s is clearly a racist movie, even though it is something of its time, but like... I don't know, the director behind it, D.W. Griffin, uh, was a very known racist from the knowledge I um, uh, have get garnered up. But that's another not, that's another episode for, you know, that's another movie for another episode. I'm talking about uh, New York Ripper here. But there's also movies out there that are very much, no, it's not misogynistic. It's not racist, but it's about racism. It's about misogyny. Um, New York Ripper walks that fine line. But I think this film... I would feel is a little more misogynistic. Uh, Fulci, Lucio Fulci likes to push boundaries. Uh, and it, it, I'm sure there's people out there that can debate, like, no, it's more about misogyny than it is misogynistic. Um, you can kind of tell from the path the directors kind of take you on with the messages they're trying to convey. New York Ripper is what you probably think it sounds like it's about a burned out cop in new york city i think uh teams up with like a psychiatrist or something to take down a murderer who is uh just pursuing women um around new york city who are i don't know very let's just say sexually active um you know a lot of uh promiscuity and stuff and whatnot and you know prostitutes and everything and you know he's brutally killing them and um look in the slasher films of the 1980s there's always the final girl and the reason why i think slasher films get away with it is because there is a you know with a final girl character they are you know out to fight back uh they they're not overpowered at all yes they're overpowered for maybe the first hour of the movie but they push back and they fight back and they kick the bad guy's ass and you're always rooting for him in the end uh new york ripper not so much like this is a brutal it feels like it's a brutal attack on women and the only kind of light-hearted moment it's not even really light-hearted is the killer has this voice that sounds like donald duck uh i don't know <laughs> what the choice was on this when it came to dubbing in the actor's voice you know when he makes like crank obscene phone calls and it's it's donald duck's voice i don't know if there was just some laughing stock in a boardroom when they were putting this movie together let's give him this that kind of a i'm not going to do a donald duck impression here on the show but let's give him that kind of voice to cushion the blow of these murders he's committing um yeah so it's it's very um this is a sleazy movie. There, there's some things I'm not going to 
describe here on the air. I will say this. Uh, I dare you to watch it. There's just a lot of uncomfortable moments. Uh, nothing that makes you look away, in my opinion, but things that just kind of happen where I go, oh, I can't believe they did that. <laughs> um, but it, it's Fulci. Fulci sometimes walks up to a line that he won't cross here. I think in the movie he crosses it. Um, but because the film has a very grindhouse feel to it and you kind of get the vibe of um, the era of the movie, I'm not defending it at all, but it's just kind of like, okay, he's making a movie for 42nd Street in New York, you know, grindhouse, hole-in-the-wall movie theaters to go see. And and I, I can I can kind of respect that. I, I like to study that era of filmmaking because I think it's so interesting. Um, but there are movies like this that ended up getting like wide releases where you're like, oh man. And 40 years later, you're like, oh, that is not fucking passing it by today's standards. Um, yeah, there's numerous film critics. I was looking into after I watched this again, um, first and second time, I, I just read up about critiques of the movie. Most of them from, uh, film reviewers, uh, critics who are, you know, women per se. And, you know, obviously a woman, a movie like this, a woman, it's probably not going to appreciate that much. Uh, you know, that being said, this is a film people, you know, if you're a Fulci enthusiast, you at least watch it once or twice. Um, yeah, I've seen it twice. Uh, first time I watched it, I was kind of sick and I put it on and I kind of like fell in and out of sleep with it. So like, I didn't really get the shock. I mean, I I knew going in, there was going to be some stuff and there's some scenes where I did see and I was... It's just like, oh, it's, it's like he's got some sort of, like, it, it's like there's some sort of hard-on by the director to kind of brutalize women um, in um, in this movie. And uh, so I don't want to necessarily promote movies that could turn people off, but I do want to maybe talk about them. And because I know there's a debate about this film of if it is a misogynistic movie or if it is just about misogyny. Um, I'm sure Fulci was still alive. Maybe he could make an argument that he was trying to make a movie about misogyny, but, you know, I don't know. American and Italian ideals, sometimes there's a blurred line there that we just don't kind of get how, what's right and what's wrong. What's right here, it could be wrong in another country, and that's just an unfortunate thing about the world. Uh, so that's New York Ripper. Uh, I'm not going to dive too far in it. Like I said, it's a sleazy movie. Uh, most of these movies are very hypersexualized, but I wouldn't say they're sleazy. Uh, so, but I wanted to get that one out of the way and mention it and talk about it. I'm not saying go watch it, but if you want to maybe make a judgment call for yourself, it's streaming on Shutter right now, and I believe it's also streaming on Tubi. That is a New York Ripper. Italian filmmakers trying to they they like to call it Fulci's New York because sometimes he makes he makes a lot of films that take place in New York. And uh, there's kind of his own little twist on the way New York is through the eyes of an Italian filmmaker. Um, so go hunt that down if you want to, uh, if, if you dare. Uh, nothing really scary about it, but just a lot of uncomfortableness. Like you said, I needed to shower after it. Uh, moving on. I'm not going to do an episode without talking about Dario Argento. I actually mentioned him <laughs> three times <laughs> uh, on this uh, little rant I'm going on here. Um yeah, so this is uh, none other than a classic. I think really kind of something a lot of people like to say kicked off the uh, giallo craze of the 1970s and into the early 1980s. This is The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. 
excuse me. This is The Bird with a Crystal Plumage, directed by Dario Argento. Uh, has a release date of June 2nd, 1970. Quick plot synopsis here. Uh, again, this is kind of that uh, crossover of Americans in Italian films. Um, uh, Tony Mustaine, I'm not sure if he's an Italian actor who just could speak English, but uh, this was made with like both a little bit of dubbing and a little bit of people actually speaking English. But an American writer uh, named by the name of Sam Dalmas is living in Rome with his girlfriend. They always take place in Rome. All these movies take place in Rome. Um, while visiting an art gallery, Sam witnesses an unsuccessful murder attempt by a mysterious figure. As the assailant is believed to be an infamous serial killer, Sam quickly becomes a key witness in the ongoing investigation. After he begins searching for clues that may help him identify the killer... Sam discovers that he may be the next intended victim. That is always a cool thing in Giallo movies. There's always a witness to a murder. And it's usually a guy. It's usually a guy. Or at least in the stuff I watched for this episode. Uh, I mean, I shouldn't say it's usually a guy. There are plenty of films where a woman witnesses a murder and now she becomes the target of the killer. Uh, you can clearly tell. Um, but like in a few of these, uh, the, another Argento film I'll mention in a few is another, it's a man witnessing a murder. And, um, this is a lot of people go back to this film cause it's kind of the beginning of Argento's run of doing Giallo films. Uh, nothing really horror about this. I mean, but despite the, the fact that there's a killer on the loose in the film, but this is also just a cool, almost police procedural movie at times, which most horror fans don't really flock to. But then again, I know a lot of horror fans that love to watch those criminal, criminal minds show. Cause that some of those shows are fucking scary. <laughs> um, but this is, um, I don't know, like it turns into a great kind of detective story after the opening, uh, scene where he is, the main character, Sam, there, he's walking down the street, and I think the whole thing is, is he's flying back to America in like a day or two, and he happens to pass by this art gallery and sees what actually at first looks like two people just kind of embracing, uh, and um, he realizes like, oh no, somebody is in danger, and it turns, and he can't get into the art gallery. Like the doors are locked, and he's just watching through these glass windows, seeing this woman get stabbed. And the woman ends up living. And oddly enough, just like I said, the Golden Rule Giallo films, the killer is in a black jumpsuit, and uh, you know has like a I think he has like a, a switchblade or a pair of scissors or something. And I gotta say. Uh, this movie, you know, what well, what ends up happening is, you know, because he's his witness, now he can't leave, he can't leave, he cannot leave the country. There's this kind of hard-nosed cop that just like, you know, completely doesn't, you know, takes his passport from him so he can't board a plane now, he can't flee because everybody's a suspect. And that's kind of the cool thing about this film. Uh, it really, it really encapsulates the fact that you don't know who this could actually be. You don't know who is the killer. And you can sit here watching the movie and kind of say, oh, I bet it's that cop. Because that cop's just like, you know, now he's he's got he's got his passport, so he's got him captured in the um, he's got him stuck in Italy right now. So now he can now he has all his information. He can find him and track him down. It's gotta be the cop. Um, I'm not gonna say who it is. Okay, I'll say this. It's not the cop. <laughs> 
<laughs> I might as well just say that right now. Spoiler alert, it's not the cop. Um, but the twist to who this killer is is something I did not see coming. I didn't know... I, I, I didn't think what I what I thought I was going to... I don't know. You know, I didn't think how it was going to unfold. There's so many key players in the movie. His girlfriend, you know, kind of... You can't tell if she's happy or not with him uh, in some scenes. He's very much, you know... He's very much uh, a very independent guy. So, like, you know, he didn't really need this lady in his life. So you kind of wonder if maybe, you know, she just wants to off him or something. He seems like a very, not like super rich guy, but, you know, successful guy. Um, there's just other characters throughout the movie where you're just like, you're just racking up suspects on who this killer could be. And the twist at the tail end got me. And um, I thought it was a, I thought it was a cool twist. And there's just other cool things in the, um, there's always these cool little small elements that do kind of make, remind you that it is somewhat of a horror film. You know, there's these paintings, and I think that's where it gets the title, The Bird in the Crystal Plumage, uh, that are just very creepy with these birds and whatnot and these caged animals, and it's so eerie to me, and that's one thing I think Italian horror films do great. They don't they do good jump scares, but they also set mood sometimes that is just like very unsettling to watch late at night. Uh, yeah, so this is, like I said, something that really kind of kicked, a film that kicked off the uh, giallo craze of the 1970s, and it was the beginning of the decade. Still very has that, I love I love movies of the early 1970s because they do still kind of feel like those late swinging 60s movies. Uh, this has that. Uh, another one I'm um, going to talk about in just a minute has that as well. This is streaming now, I believe, on Tubi. Again, a ton of Italian horror films streaming on Tubi. A ton of Italian giallo films streaming on Tubi. And sci-fi movies. Again, that's another thing with the Italians. They loved to create these like kind of low-budget sci-fi films. And a lot of them are knockoffs of uh, like American movies at the time, like your Conan the Barbarians. There's always a few movies from Italy that reminded you of that ilk. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, I think there's a movie called The Barbarians, and it's a ripoff of Conan completely, but, um, so yeah, that's, uh, The Bird in the Crystal Plumage, I thought it was a lot of fun, I didn't watch it on Tubi, though, I watched it on Kino Cult, which I plugged, uh, last, early last year, uh, free streaming service with ads, though, with a lot of your cool, obscure movies, um, to branch off of the Blu-ray label, uh, Kino Lorber, to their own little streaming service. So check that one out. This next one, uh, I, I talked about it last night on Hot Genre Topics with uh, my co-host Generic over on YouTube Live. Uh, I said I wasn't going to talk about it on today's episode, but uh, I lied because uh, I kind of dug it and I want to turn it on to people. Uh, this is, I believe, 1972's The Murder Mansion. <laughs> Uh, very kind of plain title, doesn't say a lot. I mean, kind of sounds very uh, very B-movie. And, you know, you could tell it's kind of a low-budget European film. Hard to tell if it takes place in Italy. A lot of the actors, I believe, are Italian, and but some of them are English-speaking also and Italian, so there's not... doesn't seem like there was any dubbing. I mean, I'm sure some, maybe some characters were dubbed. Probably wrong about that. Uh, but this is your typical... You know, uh, people get lost 
in the wilderness or lost, you know, take a wrong turn or something, and they all find their way to a mansion out in the middle of the woods. I guess they're driving through the mountains. There's all these, like, first 15 minutes are just, like, these people. You're getting, like, these little excerpts of the these people that you know are going to kind of, their paths are going to converge. Uh, I don't know if it's in Italy because there's, like, snow. There's, like, snow in one scene, and then the next scene, there's no snow. Uh, but... I don't know what the climate is in the mountains of Italy. I'm, if they're, I sound so like I don't know what I'm talking about right now because I've never been to Italy. I, I know it gets very, you know, desert like in some spot, not desert, but very dry in some spots. And I know it has a great coastline. Um, I don't know if there's any like mountain ranges. If anybody out there has been to Italy, feel free to, I don't know, tweet me on this shit. But regardless, it may not have been shot in Italy. It honestly sometimes looks like the Alps uh, at some point. Some uh, another place I haven't never been, but I do want to go to. But they're uh, they're just driving around, and uh, these three different people have a destination. There's there's two people who I think meet up, and like one steals a girl from another. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> she ends up like riding. She was in a car hitchhiking, and the guy who picked her up like ends up being kind of a d bag. So then she like links up with a guy on a motorcycle. And you know those two are going to link back up because they all show up at this mansion. It gets foggy one night as they're driving down this dirt road. And they all land on this mansion that's next to a cemetery. So it's debatable if this is a giallo film. But because there is a murder mystery element to it, yes, you can put it in that category, I believe. But there's also a very supernatural feel to it with there being this cemetery and this supposed haunting it does turn into, is this mansion haunted, or are there just a couple crazy people that want to, you know, murder people that get lost, you know, out there, and they find their way to their house. So, um, but I wanted to bring this up because I was talking about this on the show last night, Hot Genre Topics, and I was, like, looking over on letterbox reviews of this movie, and so many people, while I'm watching it, I'm going, like, this feels like a Scooby-Doo cartoon, and look, it's it's a giallo film. There's sexual activity, but it doesn't go too over the top. You know, the people people hook up in the movie. It's how it goes. Uh, but you know, like I said prior, like a lot of giallo films are can be get hypersexual and like a little over the top, where you're just like, wait, am I watching '70s porn? Um, so this movie just felt. This movie has you know the stuff like that, but it doesn't go too crazy and. It has a Scooby-Doo vibe to it. It has a, like, oh, we're trapped in a haunted house kind of thing, and somebody's out to get us. We better find out who that killer is. And it becomes a really cool whodunit. And it's kind of a little like um, the, the movie Clue, 1983, the, based off the board game, um, turns into who is behind all this stuff. But there's also these two like ghostly characters like emerging from the cemetery that are stalking people. And you don't know if they're ghosts or if they're people like in masks and whatnot. And so there's kind of some mystery behind that. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, it also, the fact that a lot of people I was reading on Letterboxd and on reviews for this movie were saying the Scooby-Doo vibe really kind of refreshed my memory that Scooby-Doo is such a gateway into horror. There's so many kids who grew up watching Scooby-Doo that are horror fans because it is a little bit of a horror horror TV show without like you know super scary stuff about it but there's like you know the monsters that come out and chase the gang and but it turns out it's just you know 
such and such wearing a mask, the only other character in the episode, and you wonder how you couldn't figure out how the, who the hell the, the villain was of that episode. Uh, that made the movie a lot of fun, the Scooby-Doo vibe to it. Um, there's even, like, kind of Scooby-Doo music. Not, not like, the Scooby-Doo theme, but, um, you know, Scooby-Doo, like, just, like, music that you could probably see on the old television show. And it makes me wonder... I don't have any information in front of me of, like, when the original Scooby-Doo show cartoon aired. I imagine it was, like, the 1970s or 60s into the 70s. Uh, I will look into that. I'm sure someone knows that more than me, if you're out there. <laughs> um, but maybe this is a film that, you know, maybe the director of this film um, goes by the name uh, Francisco Lara Polop. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe sat down and said, ah, I'm going to do, do a Giallo film. And... Um, Give it a Scooby-Doo vibe. So, yeah, that's the Murder Mansion. I saw it on Shudder. I uh, don't know where else it's streaming. Maybe it's popping up in a few other places. Uh, fun murder mystery in a big spooky mansion. Uh, went in blind with low expectations. Absolutely enjoyed it. All right, I'm going back to my man Dario Argento. I'm going to say him two more times on this episode. And I'll cap, I'll cap off the show with another Argento movie. And spoiler alert, it's not Suspiria. Uh, But right now, I want to talk about a film that has been hailed as maybe his best G version of a Giallo movie. Um, It had been four years since I think he made his last film. This came out in the mid-70s. I'm getting two different, again, released in Italy probably in 75, didn't hit the States till 77. I don't know. That's how things go sometimes. Uh, This is a absolute classic i'm talking about none other than deep red deep red is has one of the best openings i feel in any giallo movie i I just the setup is so foreboding and so puts me on edge and from what i remember i didn't rewatch it to cut this episode but i watched it maybe within the last year and it was a one of the more recent times um uh, one of the more recent times I've watched, one of the multiple times I've seen the film. Uh, this is just classic Argento, um, uh, just setting up absolute dread in tone for a murder mystery. Uh, so the plot of this film is a psychic who can read minds, and it starts at like this event in like a theater where a psychic is reading minds of people in the audience. Uh, and this psychic picks up thoughts of a murderer in the audience. And this psychic becomes the victim of the murder. And that was just so, such a great setup. She picks up a vibe. I believe it was a woman. Um, she picks up a vibe that uh, there's, a, there's a murderer in the audience who's going to commit murder like right there, like at some point that night. Um, and so this also, you know, and this also ushers in a, and you, you, I, once the movie starts, I think this psychic is going to be like the main character. And, you know, spoiler alert, it's a Drew Barrymore situation. They're killed off in, like, the opening act of the film. Um, so then we bring in the hero, who's an English pianist, um, and gets involved in solving this murder. And that's kind of a crazy thing. Sometimes it's always, like, a non-detective man who decides he's going to take on the task to solve the killer who's who's doing this. Um and he teams up, I think, with a woman. And that's one thing I notice early on in a few Argento films that there is it's a man solving it, and they kinda she he kinda has like a sidekick uh of a of a woman 
trying to solve it, the case with him. And I don't know if that sets up maybe this potential idea of the woman could be his like sidekick could be the killer, could not be the killer. Um, I, I don't know. But <laughs> uh, the two of them kind of start to track down who this. But another thing is, is like it's crazy to see a man in this situation trying to solve a murder in the in he, he in the few Argento films where a male is solving the case or attempting to he doesn't necessarily put the pieces together it's always the woman it's always his sidekick and it's just a testament to how things go uh but uh he also sometimes stumbles upon who ends up being the killer it's never really him solving the case and having an epiphany he just happens to like get trapped by the killer and happens to unmask said person I, I, that doesn't happen here in deep red i don't remember but um yeah so the, you know the two of them team up and they are basically in hot pursuit to try and solve this murder and who could it be as some of their friends get picked off one by one as well um this is some of the best kills in a giallo film i have to say really doesn't get much better than that um the score of this is such an, it's incredible and one of the more you know, Argento always has well shot films even though he's not the cinematographer but I feel like this Suspiria and um a film I will probably talk about at the tail end of this episode uh probably the most well shot movies of his uh filmography um he puts so many things in his films that um, like all your senses, hearing, seeing, like sound design in Argento movies are incredible. Uh, like just the striking scares that come out match with great sound design, uh, works so well. It really just kind of makes you tense and makes you, makes you just hypersensitive to what you're seeing on screen. Deep Red is an absolute classic. Uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, <laughs> I highly recommend it. I say that so much on this damn show. Uh, I think it's streaming on Tubi. It's also been streaming on Shutter for like the past few years. I can imagine it's in multiple other places. Um, yeah, uh, a lot of people say it's a slow burn. I don't. I think it moves really well. I will kind of say this, though. Um, if you're not paying attention, you'll miss something very obvious early on. I feel like they give the killer, who the killer is, away very early on in this movie. That's my one thing to nitpick, but oddly enough, I I don't know. I forgive it. I <laughs> completely forgive it. All right, now I'm jumping back to 1970 in a film directed by uh, Luciano Ercoli. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, <laughs> it said it was in English when I hit play. It's completely in Italian, and that's okay. Like, they're still giallo films are still very easy to follow. Uh, remember how I said you really get a feel for like the swinging '60s in these movies, even though this is 1970, but I imagine shot uh, during 1969. I would think uh, I this film right here. This this is called the Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion. Went in blind on this one, had a fucking blast with it. But uh, you really get feel the atmosphere of like swinging sixties Europe, specifically Italy in this one because uh, there's a lot of uh, infidelity 
<laughs> in this movie uh, that really, I feel, heightens the uh, risks and the stakes of a murderer running around. Uh, so here's the plot of this film. So there is a psychotic pornographer running around committing murders, and we don't know who he is. I think we just we see little signs of who he could be, some evidence. I think he makes some obscene phone calls, but we learn through like photography he takes. Uh, he, he basically works in the porn industry. Um, this uh, person is blackmailing this married woman into becoming his sex slave and threatening to reveal that her husband is the killer so he can get away with it. Uh, so he, the woman becomes desperate to protect the man that she loves, and therefore she has to kind of endure these kinky bondage games. I can hear my audience turning away from this if you're not into this kind of stuff. I'm not into this kind of stuff either. I should need to, I really need to specify. But, um, you know, he, you know, he basically threatens her uh, for murder if uh, she goes to the police and says stuff about what he's trying to do to her. Um, yeah. So what she ends up doing, though, is she does go to the police. And she's like, well, you know, this this man is doing these awful, horrible things to me. I, I need you to come investigate. I, I know where he lives. I can take you to his house right now. So, of course, police go, okay. You know, I, I think she's a woman of some sort of status in in the city. I believe it's probably shot in Rome. Um, and so they... She's very much kind of a stay-at-home housewife. She seems a little bored. You know, they they do kind of play into that a little bit. You know, she's bored. The walls are closing in on her. They don't have kids, uh, her and her husband. But nobody believes her. So she brings her to the cop. Brings the cops to the the house where this um person has been holding her captive for stretches of time to do these awful, very not sex acts, but just like very kind of tongue-in-cheek pornographic things a lot of like photos and stuff and so she um cops show up there they go to the apartment empty deserted nothing there and obviously you know cops go you know oh you're wasting our time this is a bunch of bullshit now remember how i said there's a lot of infidelity in this film and this woman has a best friend (laughs) that uh is basically sleeping with her husband and having an affair. But it's like I I couldn't grasp it because it's almost kind of this feeling of does she know her husband's sleeping with her friend and she's just kind of like that's just what it is. We're in an open marriage kind of thing. I I couldn't very European. I I know sometimes it's a different culture. You know, sometimes they just into that kind of stuff. Not hating at all, all right? Hey, that's what you want to do. But, like, I couldn't grasp the fact if they were okay with having this open marriage or not. But I feel like it adds to the heightened senses because her friend, she strikes me as, like, she's up to no good. Like, she's trying to ruin her life, ruin her friend's life. And, therefore, it makes just, like... And therefore, it like makes her a prime suspect in this, even though we're under the impression that uh, the person doing this is a man. But I don't. You wonder if this woman, her friend, is a confidant in this scheme. Very toxic environment. Like if I had this going on in my life, I'm out. I'm done. Cutting ties. Bye. Like <laughs> it kind of like triggered me a little bit. I was just like, no, fu- fuck no. 
Like, no, that ain't happening to me. I, like, I felt so bad for the main character. She was, like, surrounded by narcissism. And that was actually a great thing because it gave her a great character arc to overcome the bad things that were happening to her in this movie. So if you can kind of stomach the fact that it's a little um, tongue-in-cheek with some of the uh, sexual content in this movie, uh, it actually makes for a great uh, character arc by the time we hit the third act. Um, great ending, by the way, to this. And you know, I, I've only said the title once, and so if you didn't hear me before, that is a f- movie called The Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion. And I also should add... Um, this is a score, a film score by a composer who's no longer with us that I have mentioned multiple times on this episode or on this show. That is none other than the great Academy Award winning Ennio Morricone. Uh, this was an early, no, nah, it wasn't early. Um, he, had, he had, I believe, done uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly and a few other spaghetti westerns by that time. So he was very well established, but. You know, he was still doing score. Like, he's another film composer where it's like, oh, my God, he composed this by the time you see his credits uh, pull up on screen. Uh, so it's a lot of cool to see him making, um, working on films like this as well. All right. Now I said I'm going back to Argento. I am ending the episode today talking about probably my second favorite Argento film, uh, Dario Argento. And that is a movie that is... Later on in Past the Giallo Craze, this came out, I think, in 1987. This is none other than opera. I would say next to Suspiria, this is my second favorite Argento movie. Maybe even a, a close second, uh, because I can't believe he he has this in him after the crazy Giallo craze of the 1970s with films like that. But this is very big in scale, uh, I fucking love this movie. It's so nihilistic too. Like this movie gets mean at times, but not mean to really take you out of your comfort zone where you're just like, I need to uh, take a break from this movie. Uh, very entertaining and very nihilistic. It felt like at times, uh, I, th- this is about a killer whose name we don't know yet, obviously until the very end of the movie who is uh, terrorizing a theater company in performing an opera. And it's very phantom of the opera, I guess you could kind of say. Uh, I, I feel like he's taking a, a take on that storyline. And um, it's about a girl who, I, I believe she's an understudy to the main character in the uh, show, or the main actress. And uh, she ends up getting the gig to... Um, become the lead so she she gets the gig i believe there's an injury or some sort or like a or she nearly gets uh murdered i believe it's like a light or something almost falls on her probably wrong about that again i didn't re-watch it for this episode but I, I watched it back in october during my 31 days of horror so i believe i talked about it then um and she ends up becoming so she ends up becoming the lead actress but what starts to happen is the killer takes an interest in her but not to necessarily kill her what she does is there's these certain scenes throughout the movie where um, the killer gets a hold of her, basically ties her down, and yeesh, puts these like sharp um, that razor pins or so, I don't know really what it is, razor blades or pins up to her eyes to keep her eyelids open. 
and ties her down so she can't blink. And if she blinks, she, you know, cuts up her eyes and everything. It's so fucking crazy. But why she's why he's doing that is because of he ends up killing someone she knows in front of her and she's forced to watch it. Whew. So goddamn brutal. Like when you think about it. Uh, again, what a well shot movie this was. Uh, what a just pacing of just multiple different kind of elements that heighten your emotion while watching it, just like in Deep Red, uh, just like in Bird and the Crystal Plumage, just like in pretty much a lot of the movies I'm talking about here today. Um, yeah, very simple in story. Uh, the mystery unfolds really well. I love it, it. I love those late 80s, early 90s thrillers, and I would put opera into it, even though it was, I believe... I believe it was everything was done in Italy, uh, despite there being some American people involved in the film. Uh, great, fun, over-the-top climax of the movie. Uh, cool little twist that doesn't even take place in an opera house. It takes place, I think, out in like the the a cabin in the woods, which is kind of cool. Uh, yeah, Argento's just the master of this. That's why I mentioned him three times on this show. So. I just wanted to hop on here and introduce you to all the Giallo films I'm watching. Some of them are a little more popular than others, but um, you don't have to, you know, just during January watch Giallo films. You can watch them wherever you want. I said earlier, I think Tubi has its own Italian horror section going on right now. Uh, I recommend that. Check that out for starters. Uh, don't, <laughs> don't maybe kick things off with like the New York Ripper. Work your way up to that. Uh, because, like I kind of said, it's uh, it's just a little, I don't know, some, <laughs> you get it. But it, everything I just said, go back and listen to what everything I just said. But um, with all that being said, that's another episode of The Basement in the Bags here on the Farewell Tour. I guess that's what I'm calling it. Uh, yeah, I probably got like, you know, another handful of episodes but uh, going on here. But yeah. That's my January Giallo, and uh, we'll see you next week on The Basement. Take care.